have you noticed that Christmas is almost here? Like, anybody done any shopping right now? If you've been shopping, like, you're too late, all the stuff's gone, and there's just crowds. That's all I found. So it's crazy. But I've noticed Christmas is just in full swing. And here's what I've noticed this year, though. Is there's been a lot of changes happening in how we do Christmas. I've noticed just so many things, like, as, for instance, how people decorate. The technology we use to decorate is changing. Uh, I, I am personally, now we're using these LED lights that are, you know, they're, they're these little snowflakey looking things. It's great and stuff. But I've also seen people using those little boxes that you just turn on and it shoots laser lights on your, on your building, on your, on your home. Listen, that's so lazy. Just saying. Just saying. Like, you, you get no effort points at all. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I'm done. Like... What? That's cheating. That's cheating. Actually, no, no, I, just, I respect that. I respect your, your ingenuity. That's excellent. But things are changing, right? Like, for instance, my, my wife and I, we love, to, we love to watch, like, all of our favorite Christmas movies. We always watch, like, Muppets Family Christmas. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Roll out the holly, that one. Um, or uh, the Peanuts, Peanuts Christmas. We always watch that every year, multiple times, Home Alone. And we used to have to, like, dig, dig, dig out the old VHS and pop it in. But now everything's on YouTube, and I just find it on my phone, and I airplay it to my TV because technology, like things are changing. Like even last week as we did the Christmas parade in the valley, I noticed something changed. Like they had a whole section of the parade that was marked off as a quiet zone for families that have kids with autism or can't be in loud uh, places, which is really cool. But I, th- I just noticed how fast things change. I drove through the quiet zone on my way here and I thought never when I was a kid you're like, deal with it, you know, like that's, that, and like that, things change, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, but it's amazing to me. I'm now, I'm, I'm in my 33rd, I'm almost my 34th Christmas, and it's amazing to me how many things just change and how fast things change. You don't notice it when you're a kid, but how quickly things that like were commonplace everyday items are no longer everyday items. Like I did some digging last week and, and found some old technology even. And like how fast and how quickly things that we used to use now are obsolete. Like, like this little beauty. Come on, somebody. I'm surprised like hipsters haven't brought this back. Like, no, I'm not using an iPhone, man. I'm using this. Look, this looks like a satellite phone. Nope, that's like an original Zach Morris Motorola phone. Like things that you used to use, you don't have to use anymore. Like, remember these? VHS. Anybody still use VHS? Wow, wow, it's 2016. Um, cassette tapes. Woo! George Jones looking mean right there. Oh, here's something I, I'm pretty confident 98% of you will never use again, a map. <laughs> Remember those? Remember when you had to like pull over and look at the map to find out where you are? Are we on I-95? Well, anyway, yeah, like maps. Oh, now hipsters use these, right? Hipsters use records just because they're hipsters and trying to be cool, I guess. There's no reason to have a record. I have every song ever written on my phone right now through Apple Music. You don't need this unless you're just trying to make a point. Actually, this is kind of cool. This is, this is Lionel Richie. I'm, I, may, I may save that for Valentine's Day, just saying. Uh, too much? No, sorry. Uh, Discman's, remember that? Like this, 10 years ago, this is like state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line top of technology. 
Look how thin that was. Anti-skip. It was the kind you didn't have to walk like this for it to not skip. You could, you could put it in your back pocket and you were good to go. It wasn't going to skip or anything. It's amazing to me how quickly things change. Even this. I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, how often... Back in the day, our, our, you'd have a conversation with friends and it would end in, I don't know. Remember, like, you'd have a conversation about something, about anything, and if nobody knew the answer, that was just the end of the conversation. I guess we're done talking about that. Not anymore, right? You're sitting there, like I was at a restaurant with some friends this week, and, and we were talking about something, we didn't know the answer, so I was like, well, let me find out, right? And you, <laughs> we don't, we know everything and know nothing. Things are changing, Quickly, And what I've noticed, again, as I kind of get older, and some of you folks who are a little more seasoned than I am, you could attest to this. Some things need to change. Some things are great changes. I'm, I'm thankful for the iPhone. I'm thankful for Google. It's excellent. However, I think, though, as I get older, I see some things changing in our world and in our culture that I wonder if they aren't, if they're not good changes. Like, I wonder if things, if there are some things in this world that should never change. Some things that should never go away. Some things that should never have shifted. And I want to live in a world where we take into, into consideration, you know, families that with kids that have autism so we can make a street part of the street and the parade that they can go to. I want to live in that world. But I wonder, though, as I look at our world and I look at our culture, if there aren't things about us that we have let go of, things that we no longer embrace that maybe we're doing so to our detriment. And I wonder even about the church if there are things, and that we want things to come and go and to change. However, I wonder if there are things in the church that we have let go of that we should never have let go of and what the effect of that is. We've been journeying for the last several weeks now. Almost we're in our eighth week of Code of Kings. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the things that we believe should never change. These things we want our children to, to embrace. These are the things we want our children's children to embrace. These are the things that until the Lord returns, we will hold fast to these values. And we've called them our code. And we've been walking week by week through them. But as I've gotten to this place today in our eighth code, I, I got to confess to you, out of all of them, this is the one on a personal level. And this is the one, if I would grade our church, that I wonder if we have not run the risk of losing a little bit of what this value once was. In fact, if I was to grade our church and grade my own life, I would say of all of them, this is the one that we probably need the most improvement. This is the one that is probably the most countercultural and probably the most counterintuitive for us to live out and embrace. I want to talk to you today about this concept of honor. Honor. Our eighth code is this. We as a church want to be a church that excels in honor excelling in honor. Now I can know, and this is my second time preaching this message, and I've been wrestling with it all week. I know when I say the word honor, you're not so sure why I'm going to spend a whole message on this because our concept of honor in our society is drastically different than what you find in here. And in fact, when you look in through the pages of this book, you are going to find this value of honor, not just front and center, but actually critical to operating within the kingdom of God. So we have this kind of qualifying sentence that says this. We as a church want to excel in honor. We honor God as we honor others, as this is the currency of the kingdom of God. Honor is currency in the kingdom of God. Now, when I first kind of looked at this as one of our values, 
I, I honestly, I was not sure what I was getting into because my concept of honor was based on my life experience here in Canada uh, in the 21st century. Uh, my concept of honor is, is based on an understanding. I mean, I grew up in a democracy, correct? We're a capitalistic society where we, we, we you know, our, the value in our culture is if you get power or position, you have earned it, correct? You can talk to me. You can talk to me. This is, we're gonna, can I teach today? I'm going to drop something here that I think we're going to need in the future. So I want you to just work with me. When we think of honor in our culture, honor is something that is earned primarily. You give it because you deserve it. For instance, people who hold uh, office, there are elected officials and politicians. We honor them in so much as we believe they deserve it, correct? They earned our vote, and they can lose our vote. This is just how our society's built. For, for businessmen and women, we honor them as their, as their company grows. They get power and we give them prestige. That's how honor works in our culture. It comes from this kind of capitalistic, democratic understanding of how the world works. It's, it's tied into our economy. It's tied into our ethos. It's tied into how we live. That's how we understand honor. Honor is something you earn. It's something you get or obtain, but when you open the pages of the Bible, God speaks to his people not as honor, doesn't talk about honor as something you earn, but he talks about honor as something you give. Something you give. And I, was, I have been so checked and blown away this week as I have looked at what the Bible actually says about honor. You ever read your Bible and like have to do a double, triple take? Like, is it really saying that? Is it actually saying that? And I, I, have, I have been blown away by how seriously the Bible talks about honor. For us in our culture, honor is optional. Honor is something I can choose to give you or not give you. But in the Bible and in the kingdom of God, honor is not optional. It is essential because it is the very currency by which we operate with one another and before God. And I cannot believe what I found, just how intense the Bible speaks of honor. Get this. Everybody familiar with the Ten Commandments? Pretty should have most people raising their hands right now. But anyway, the Ten Commandments, you know what those are. We, we've, we've, most people are familiar with what the Ten Commandments are. These were God's laws given to the Israelites to help guide them unto life. That is the whole idea, that if you live this way, you will flourish. That's the idea. And the first four commandments are, are vertically oriented. In, in, what I mean by that is they are before God. They're how you conduct yourself before God. Number one, have no other gods before me. Now, here's the trick. Number one, if you get number one right, all of the other ones fall into place because every other sin is ultimately undermining that first commandment. Every sin is a form of idolatry. So have no other gods before me. Number two is like, don't make a graven image. Don't distort who I am. Number three is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't carry me with dishonor. Number four is this idea of being holy. Keep the Sabbath un unto me holy. And then it shifts to horizontal living. It shifts not from how we live before God, but how we live with one another. And they, they unfold in sequence. If you roll all the way to the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet. Do you know what coveting is? It's, it's wanting something that someone else has, correct? Most rabbis believed that the 10th commandment was not a command, but it was a reward. That if you were following one through nine, you weren't going to want anybody's life anyway. And so if you backtrack and you go from 10 down to nine, don't bear false witness, don't slander someone. Eight, don't lie. Seven, don't sleep with someone who is not your wife, man. 
Number, number six is thou shalt not murder. You see in the, the severity kind of goes, goes up to the front, correct? The fifth commandment and the first thing the Bible lists as far as living this life on the horizontal plane is honor your mother and father. Honor your mother and father, then we'll deal with murder problems. Like that's really, it's there, church, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. And then as I looked through the Bible and I found how the, how the word of God speaks about honor, Malachi 1.6, God says this, the Lord of heaven's army says to the priest, a son honors his father, a servant respects his master. If I am your father and your master, where is the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown me contempt. 1 Samuel 2.30, here it is. This is what I mean by the currency of the kingdom and how we operate. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. Honor is the currency of the kingdom. It is the means by which we operate. And I've been so blown away as I've studied this concept of honor. It is the means by which we operate before God and with others. Honor is the posture. It's the key position for us in the kingdom life to live this life of honor. And dishonor, on the contrary, I'm gonna get back to this, dishonor actually is the very thing that jams up the flow of God's favor in your life. We at King's Church, as we talk about this, and then the reason I wanna put this before you today is I believe that we have to take ground in this area because as I have seen it, Honor is the key to receiving all that God has for you in your life. And so if we don't learn honor, what's going to happen? We are going to grow churches and families and believers who are spiritually bankrupt. Like the church that Paul warned Timothy about, that, that although they have a form of godliness, they deny the power that can make them godly. And I believe that I'm not trying to overstate something that's in the Bible. This is so front and center about living the kingdom life, this idea of honor. The reason we struggle with it, though, is this, because you and I grew up in a democracy, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for my freedom. I'm thankful for my identity. I'm thankful for that I get to be who I am. But you cannot understand the Bible through the eyes of democracy and capitalism because the kingdom of God is a kingdom. You did not elect Jesus. He is on a throne, and the kingdom operates under authority that is there. And so we need to understand, as kingdom people, this concept of honor, because honor is the way by which we operate within the kingdom. Let, I want to I just break this down. Can we talk about this for a minute? You're all looking at me like, you are really excited about honor right now. I'm telling you, this is, this is just brought to life so much, and I'm going to get to why in a second, but I want to just break down what is honor. When I get talking about honor, what is honor? What is this word honor? Well, the word honor comes from the, the Hebrew word kavod, and the Hebrew word kavod is the same word for glory, but there's a tense in which kavod is said. So when we talk about God, for instance, uh, it talks about the, the heavens declare the glory of God in the Psalms. It's the, it's the Hebrew word kavod. And the Hebrew word kavod is actually translated and derived from this idea of weight. You've heard the, maybe the term the weight of glory. And it actually comes from, you remember when they used to use those scales to, to measure the weight of something? They'd put silver here and whatever other substance they were going to try to trade, and they'd find out the weight or the value of something. Well, the word for honor and glory is the word kavod, and it comes from this idea of weight. So when the Bible talks about honor and glory, it talks about ascribing value. 
That's what honor is. When you honor someone, you are placing weight or value on them, on their opinion, on what they say, on their position, on who they are. That's what honor is. When you give someone honor, you're giving them value. Now, why is that so countercultural? Because when you and I give honor, we feel like we're losing, don't we? When you're quick to give praise, you feel like you're losing it. But we're going to get to why you give honor in a second. But you need to understand honor as this idea of ascribing value, of esteeming someone. That's what honor is. So what does honor look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. To honor someone means to place value on them. So how do we tangibly do that? Well, the first way is through this idea of surrender and submission. First and foremost, you honor someone by surrendering to them, by obeying what they ask you to do, by doing what they say. Like parents, you know what I mean? I feel more honor when my son just does what I ask him to do. Like that, that's what honor looks like. It's obedience. It's concession. It's to concede and to give the right. Honor looks like submitting yourself to the weight or value or authority of someone, to value them over you, to come under. That's what honor is. Surrender, submission. Honor is saying. You can honor someone by what you say. Did you know that? You can honor someone by your mouth, by how you speak. It's actually one of the greatest tools that we have to actually give honor. It happens through speaking. You can speak well of someone. Speak in turn. Don't interrupt. My wife would elbow me right now if she was standing beside me. Don't interrupt. Let someone finish. That gives value. Speaking well, speaking in turn, ascribing value to someone. Using your words to build others up as opposed to tear down. That's what honor looks like. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, see how exclusive that is? Only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's what it looks like to be a person who speaks honor. You only speak things that build others up. Does that mean that you just are loosey-goosey and you you don't ever call someone on their crap? No. Sometimes telling the truth, the difficult truth, actually is building them up. The question is the motivation of your heart, and that is what honor is about. Honor is a heart issue. And so is your intention in how you speak to build them up or to tear them down? Honor is about building others up. Saying and ascribing. Third idea is this, serving and blessing. Honoring in our activity. Serving someone else. Wives, how have you honored your husband by how you serve? Husbands, how have you honored your wives by how you've served them? Moms, dads, how do you honor your mom and dad by how you serve them? Honoring by doing things that bless others. That's why we have this whole frontline ministry here. It's not just to make things more convenient for you. That's not why people come here and put on those red shirts and serve you. It's to show honor. That's what we're doing. We are trying to bless those who who come here. We want you, when you come to King's Church, to feel as though not only we're expecting you, we're wanting you here, and we want to bless every moment that you're here. That's what honor is about. That's what it looks like. So here's the question I want to answer before I tell you why honor is so critical in the kingdom. Who does the Bible tell us we are to honor? Who does the Bible say we're to honor? Well, obviously, you're in church, and I've done this before. The answer is Jesus. Yes, we know. The answer is Jesus. When you ever ask a question, the answer is Jesus. We, we know that to be true. You live a life of honor, ultimately to honor God, but, but that's not ultimately where the rubber meets the road. 
It's easy to say I'm doing things to honor God, but the question is actually more in how you honor people around you. That's where the rubber meets the road. And so what does the Bible say about honoring others? Well, first it tells us to honor those above us. The Bible tells us to honor those in authority. And this is a kingdom value that people of the kingdom of God, people of Jesus are people who submit themselves and honor those in authority. Now, I have been so checked by this because I have a thing in me that has this kind of rebellious streak and and God has really called me on that this week. Do I honor those who are in authority? Do we? I mean, that's, that's not what our society's built on, is it? I mean, even the fact that we are a Protestant church has some roots of rebellion in it, right? Do we honor those in authority? And I'm not saying I don't want to be Protestant. Don't leave here saying, well, I guess he's going to turn us all Catholic now. And like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, though, there's this subtle thing in the heart that is rebellious. And the Bible tells us we need to honor those in authority. Look what Romans 13 says. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. Say what? That's in there. All authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. God has allowed it. God has allowed for Trump. (laughs) For real. I'm not joking. Y'all laughing like, ha. No, he really has. It's hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? Because, again, our concept of honor is, well, we honor you if you deserve it. That's not how it works in the kingdom. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Think about this. Do you know who Paul's writing to? Again, we joke about, like, well, whoever he's writing, they, they weren't under the Trump administration. No, they were under the Nero administration. That's heavy stuff. Because that was sent to families who have seen family members burned at the stake, eaten by lions, and executed in public for fun. That's what was happening when Paul wrote this. He says, be subject to authorities. God has placed them over you. Verse 7 says, give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So we honor those above us in civil authority. That's what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible also calls us to honor family authority. It says the fifth commandment is honor thy mother and father. That we as children are supposed to honor our parents. Okay, some of you are saying, yeah, but my dad's a deadbeat. He left me. You still honor the office of the parent. You still honor your father. It doesn't mean you have to get along with him. It doesn't mean that you have to affirm his choices. Again, honor is not about what someone deserves. Honor is about you. Honor the family. The Bible says that there's a family order. There is an order of authority in the family. It says in Ephesians 5.23, For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. Dudes, it is, look up here. It's not time to elbow your wife. Eyes up here. I'm going, to get, I'm going to get around. Some of you are going to leave like, that was the best sermon I ever heard. I'm like, no. <laughs> Wait for it. Wait a minute. Husbands are to honor their wives. There is an order of authority by which the kingdom operates and the kingdom family operates. So there's family authority. There's social authority. We are to honor our employer, our boss, our manager. Even the manager who's 17 with pimples that didn't deserve the promotion and he got it over you. 
The Bible says that you're supposed to honor those in social authority. It tells us that. Do you know that Paul wrote to slaves once? And he told them in 1 Timothy 6, slaves should show full respect for their masters so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. We're to honor those in, 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 in social authority. We're to honor those in spiritual authority. The Bible says we're to honor those who God has placed above us as shepherds of our soul. We're, we're to honor our pastors. We're to honor bishops, clergy, ministers. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. So we honor those who God has placed above us. That's how we are marked. But secondly, we are to honor those who God has placed beside us. We're to honor our peers, those on our levels. This is the second idea about who to honor. Honor those who you are in relationship with, those beside you. Your brothers and sisters. Look how Paul writes it. This is a great verse, Romans 12, 10. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Brothers and sisters, we're to honor. We're to honor our spiritual brothers and sisters, our biological brothers and sisters. You're to honor your friendships, your relationships, your colleagues, your coworkers, those who are on your level. You're to honor your husband and wife. You're to honor one another. Look what 1 Peter says. This is this. This verse like punched me in the face this week. Not literally, but figuratively speaking. Figuratively, figuratively, figuratively speaking. We're to honor our husband and wife. Look at this. 1 Peter 3.1. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some, of you are, some, some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lies will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. You know what he's saying there? Wives, you can't nag your unbelieving husband into salvation. Demonstrate it. Verse 7, he says, in the same way, here it is, guys. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with such understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. Now he's talking about the body here. He's not talking about like weaker in all areas. He's literally talking physically. I know there are some really strong ladies in the house, but by and large, men are stronger. I'm just saying that. No, they're not. Yes, they are. Uh, <laughs> she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. You see that? She is your equal partner partner in God's gift of new life. Now watch this. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Some of, us, some of us husbands need to stop praying and asking God to do stuff when you start honoring our wives. We honor those beside us. And then, of course, we honor those beneath us, those in our care. So we as believers, we are called to live this life of honor, those above us, those beside us, and those beneath us, those who God has placed in our care, who's given us authority over them, our children, the least of these, the poor, the helpless, the broken. God has called us to do that. That's essentially what Jesus did for us, isn't it? Talked about in Philippians 2, it says that God did not consider equality with God something to cling on to. Instead, he gave it up for us all, humbling himself, becoming a human being, and dying a sinner's death on a cross. That is, that's what honor looks like to those beneath you. The kingdom is built on that kind of honor. None of us would be saved today if our God did not honor us beneath him. 
That's why Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. That's the heart of the kingdom, is to give honor those beneath our care. So here's the question, and I want to land just this concept. And I'm just planting this idea today, and I'm going to loop around sometime and do a full series because i got way too much to talk about with all of this. But I want to just talk about here, really, really quick, answer the question in my few minutes I have left. Why does the Bible call us to honor, or maybe better spoken, why should you leave here today and do your absolute best excelling in honor, honoring your spouse, honoring your parents, honoring those around you? Why should you do that? And the answer is simple, that honor is the key that unlocks God's favor in your life. This is what, this is what I've concluded. Honor is the key in the kingdom of God, that if you live a life of honor and you show honor, it is as though you are unlocking the favor of God to flow into your life. It is a posture of your heart that opens you up to receive more from God. That's what honor does. Honor is a position of your heart. It is unlocking the key and opening the flow of God's kingdom in your life. Subsequently, Dishonor, when we operate in dishonor with a critical spirit, with a rebellious spirit, with a selfish heart, what we are doing is we're basically locking up the flow of God's kingdom in and around us. I, I'm not overstating this. When you read your Bible, and I don't have time for a whole Bible study, but when you read your Bible, you will see the posture of the heart of the individual determines what happens in the level of breakthrough they see in their life. Every time. Honor is this key. So a church that fosters a culture of honor fosters kingdom breakthrough in their lives. A marriage that embraces this culture of honor is essentially unlocking the flow of God's kingdom into the marriage. That's what's happening. Some of you are looking at me like, you're still way too excited. I don't, I'm not sure I believe this. Think about this. Israel were freed from captivity. They were slaves in Egypt. God freed them and, they, and he brought them across the sea and into, into the wilderness where he was leading them to the promised land. The Bible says that Israel grumbled and complained and criticized. They had a rebellious spirit and an entire generation had to die off before they were able to inherit the blessing of the promised land. It's the difference between having a posture and a culture of honor and have a posture of, of criticism and a, and a rebellious spirit and a tear-down culture. The Israelites were constantly tearing down Moses, constantly tearing down God. We want to go back to Egypt. That's, that was the culture in which they operated, and you saw the subsequent lack of power. God, by his grace, kept doing things to sustain them, but they weren't able to inherit all that God had for them until that shifted, until Joshua rose up and shifted the whole posture of the nation. That's the difference. That's what happens when you understand honor. You're still looking at me like you're not sure. Mark chapter 6. You see it with Jesus. This, this is so stark. Look at this. Dishonor locks up kingdom breakthrough. Jesus, it says in verse 1 in Mark 6, Jesus left there and went to his hometown. So Jesus goes to his hometown. And he is accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given? So, so watch this. They're praising him. You see it? Where did, he, where did this man, they don't know who he is yet, where did he learn these things? Wow. What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Now watch the shift. They're honoring him, 
And then it says this, wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't that Mary's boy? Oh, we know him. That's just Jesus. That's just Joseph's son. He's not special. Isn't that Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? We know him. And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, was this about Jesus' power or was this about their posture? This had everything to do with their posture. And if I had time, I could show you verse after verse and story after story that the posture of the individual, how they positioned themselves, determined the level of breakthrough. It was the difference between healing a few headaches and doing mass revival in Nazareth. That's what happened. Now, what's the difference? We started here with the centurion story. The centurion got it. He unlocked the key. He came up to Jesus and he says, Lord, my servant is sick. He's honoring Jesus. He honors his servant. And then Jesus says, yeah, okay, I'll come to your house. I'll heal him. And the centurion says, I am not worthy to have you in my home. But I am a man of authority and I know how it works. I can say to the one, go do this, and they do it. So I know and I have deduced that you are the king of everything. And at your word, whatever you say will happen. So just say the word. That's all you need to do. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. You see, Israel, we're dealing with a, with a level of entitlement that same critical spirit that, helped, that held them in the wilderness was back in full force when Jesus showed up on the scene. That's why he was butting heads with the culture of Israel all the way through his ministry. That's why the Pharisees were constantly trying to tear him down and reject him. And that's why he held up this man and said, I've not seen that kind of faith. You see, honor. When we honor one another and when we honor God, it positions us. It unlocks kingdom breakthrough like we never thought possible. A culture of honor is a culture of God's favor. When we honor God and others, we are unlocking God's favor in our lives. And again, that looks like a variety of things. All I know is this, that if I don't change my posture and if I don't deal with my rebellious heart and my critical spirit and I don't deal with how I honor my wife and honor my kids and honor my parents and honor you as a church, that I am limiting what God will do in me and around me. And this is happening in our world. A couple of years ago, I threw a crazy story on time to get into I was uh, taken to Orlando, Florida for a, for a conference, and there I was introduced to a man named Reinhard Bonnke, and he's an evangelist that he travels the world, but specifically, he has massive revival meetings in Nigeria, and this man, I'd, I'd, never, I'd never heard of him. This is the first time I'd seen him. I'm going to show you some video footage that he showed of what he does in Nigeria. And the man's got a powerful ministry. And I sat under his teaching. It was incredible. One of the best times I've ever had. But yet, to compare what he does in America with what he does in Nigeria is apples and oranges. 
And to compare the reaction and, and, the, and the outpouring of the kingdom of God to what happens through him in America versus what happens in Nigeria is apples and oranges. Now, he's the same evangelist with the same Jesus, but the results are completely different. Why? Honor. Check this out and look at the posture of the hearts of these people in Nigeria. This is really happening today. Check this out. All amazing? We serve the same Jesus. Like our king is their king. The question is, what's the difference? The difference, I believe, is in the posture. Did you see? Did you look at the faces? Nobody, nobody was like, this is just how I worship. Right? Like, that's not in the, it's not in the posture of the culture. And I don't know all that much about Nigeria. I have some friends from Nigeria, and I've seen them even have, demonstrate some different things culturally that just aren't here. 
And it's been so refreshing. I remember sitting down beside Dr. Omatoso. He's a vascular surgeon, successful man. And I sat down beside him and he told the doctor beside him, he said, this is my spiritual father. That's honor. That's a position of honor. The man's older than I am, knows more about the Bible than I do. He's, he's a successful man. And yet that position, that posture of honor in the kingdom that, I, that God has established me in such a way that he gave me honor. There is this thing that we have got to grasp, church. And I've been so burdened by this. That if we are ever going to see the kingdom break out in our day, and I'm so hungry for it. I want to see, I mean, that would be everybody in the Maritimes, but I want to see it. And we have got to demonstrate to our culture, this, this place that we live in St. John and New Brunswick and the Maritimes, there is a critical spirit here. You read, read the comments on the Telegraph online, like, there's Irving again, trying to take everything. He gets what he wants, right? Like, there is a critical spirit in us. And here's the thing I've found out about honor. Honor has nothing to do, for the Christian, it has nothing to do with whether or not they deserve it. It's about whether or not you deserve all that God has for you. And whether or not you want to unlock it. That's what propels us to live a life of honor. So I'm hungry for the day where we as believers, we as husbands and wives, and we as a church, we foster this culture of honor in such a way we position ourselves and we unlock the key of our own hearts to, to have God move in in such a way that we see the most incredible things happen in our lives. It's going to happen when we position ourselves this way. A culture of honor unlocks kingdom blessing. It unlocks favor. You wanna see more of God in your life? It's gonna come down to the position of your heart. I guarantee it. We serve the same Jesus as Paul. We serve the same Jesus as Peter. We serve the same Jesus as Reinhard Bonnke and those millions of Nigerians who are experiencing. They were, did you see the wheelchairs in the air? Just like that, that stuff's legit. It's really happening. People are, eyes are being opened and ear, deaf ears are being opened in our day. This isn't fake. It's really happening. And I'm believing and hungry for the day that we see the kingdom break through. I mean, we've seen amazing things and I want to honor God for everything we've seen, but I just, I know there's so much more. And I believe it has to do with our posture and that God is trying to create a culture in our church that, that shines so much light into this world that we're just so different, that we don't operate the same. Would you stand with me? I want, I want to pray for us. And I just wanted to plant this seed in your heart about honor. But I want to just say this, on the record, if we are going to see incredible things take place, if we're going to see heaven invade earth, if you're going to see heaven invade earth in your family and in your marriage, in your homes, in your workplace, in your community, in our church, it's going to happen when we start excelling in honor. When we excel at honoring one another and honoring God. I want to pray together and I'm, I'm, I've felt in a, in a really, not a guilty way this week, I felt God just check me and convict me to just shift how I live a little bit. He's changed my mind. And I want to just pray that God would shift how we operate as a church to position ourselves, or maybe you as a family, or you as a husband or a wife. There's probably someone that God has put his finger on even to say, you need to start by honoring them. And I wonder if God wouldn't shift our hearts today to see what happens in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, if we just embrace this culture of honor. So let's pray. God, right now, we first and foremost, we want to honor you. We want to say that, Lord, we, we embrace the reality of a kingdom. 
Lord, you're not our elected leader. You're not a city councilor. You're not someone we voted into position that's temporary, God. You are almighty God. You are the ancient of days. You were on the throne before the world was created. You're on the throne today, and you're on the throne forevermore. Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we humble ourselves, and we lay our crowns down at your feet. God, would you just give us a glimpse of your greatness as a king? Would we understand that we don't live in a democracy as believers? We live in a monarchy. You're the king. We live in a theocracy. That's, the, that's the, the way that we operate. So God, would you shift how we see things? And God, would you deal, Lord, starting in me, would you deal with my sense of entitlement? Lord, the cross says I'm not entitled to anything, but I was given everything. Would you deal with my entitlement? Would you deal with my rebellious heart? Would you deal with my critical spirit? God, teach me how to unlock the kingdom by being a person who builds others up. Father, would you give us the strength even? I think of the people who are here that to honor their parents is such a, a stretch. To honor their husband who left them is such a stretch. God, I pray that you would give us the grace to learn how to unlock ourselves, to unlock our posture, to open ourselves up to receive all that you have. Lord, may it not be said of King's Church that he was unable to perform any miracles there. May it not be said of St. John that he was unable to perform any miracles there. May we shift, may we unlock that key that opens up all that you have for us, Lord. Let us stand before you someday and, and just know that we don't look back saying, yeah, we missed it. We missed it. Lord, will we, have, will we receive everything that you have for us today? We bless you and we thank you in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.